This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Good afternoon and welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. My name is Erin Jones and we're continuing our theme from last week looking at crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding and new energy startups primarily. So we've got a packed show so we're going to jump straight in and uh, have a look at this really important mechanism that we have to move to a clean energy future. Listeners, as you know, we've covered in the past... um, different elements of uh, ethical investing and divestment and corporate responsibility and pressures that can be brought to bear through some of that legislative process and corporate governance process. Um, And all these tools are kind of part of the arsenal that we can look at to try to move towards a low-carbon future and and pressure companies to, to move you know, to a low-carbon future and encourage those companies that are wanting to make an impact in this space. So following along from that, um, and following along from the guest last week who was um, started a food rescue app and um, is using a platform to, to build that, I've actually got the founder of that platform on the line, and that's Alan Crabb from Birchall. And Alan's the co-founder of Possible and also Birchall. And they have slightly different um, objectives and tangents. And we're going to talk to Alan about the evolution of those and, and how they came to be. So welcome, Alan. Thank you very much. Uh, it's very nice to be part of it. So tell us first, um, crowdfunding. What is it and, and how does it work? Okay, so if I look at um, crowdfunding today in, in 2019, um, there's, there's, there's a few different models that you need to consider um, because crowdfunding as a, as a concept um, really started out, um, it was back even close to 10 years ago um, in the reward-based crowdfunding model where people were, were pledging um, and then returned for a pledge. Uh, they were getting some sort of item or experience. Um, in return for that for, for that pledge um, of money to, to make a project happen. So um, crowdfunding today, um, you have different models of crowdfunding. We I would say there's there's four core models. Um, firstly, reward-based, um, equity-based crowdfunding, which is quite new to Australia. Um, you have donation-based, um, and, and you would typically see the personal campaigns using this model. And then thirdly, or sorry, fourthly, is the the loan-based crowdfunding, um, or sometimes known as peer-to-peer lending. So the crowdfunding um, itself um, has been around as, as long as we have. I say crowdfunding um, came a, a sort of a, a coined word the same year as, as we launched Possible back in in 2010. Uh, we were actually one of the first platforms to adopt that coined word of crowdfunding as a, as a concept of what we actually did as a service. So that's, crowdfunding is, is really about bringing hopefully a community or an audience together, pitch in and, uh, and support it financially to, so to hopefully s- reach a target. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, historically, um, I think probably a lot of people would be familiar with, say, a recording artist who, um, 
you know, may not want to go through the traditional or doesn't have access to the traditional sort of studio model. So I would actually, um, you know, ask people to kind of pre-purchase a, a, a coming album or something like that to give them the funding to, co- to then go out and, and do that recording. That's right. That's yeah. been quite a, a common thing, certainly in the creative industries, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is actually where we started out, actually, and this is where crowdfunding actually started out. So um, you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not, um, I wasn't born and in, in, uh, grown up in, in Australia, but I was always following trends and, and uh, uses um, of, of technology. I'm a, I'm a techie at heart, and I've always sort of been, I suppose, an early adopter of, of technology products, and I've always been tinkering and uh, as, an, as an entrepreneur uh, as such, um, launching services and platforms that people would hopefully use and, 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 and adopt. And uh, I thought of this actually as a trend in, in Europe, actually, and it's, it's actually the first use case um, of crowdfunding out there was a musician um, looking to record an album and uh, she only needed um, was it 2,000 euro uh, to do the recording of it and she went to her audience which was primarily on social media um, she did a pitch video um, on YouTube and, and she used that as her platform to actually um, engage that community and also um, receive the funding collectively from that group of people to, to make the project happen so, so that's that's very much where it started out in, in the creative industry. Um, we were quickly quickly got adopted by like filmmakers, uh, videographers, that were making uh, documentaries and, and feature films, uh, and then it sort of um, sort of evolved out into pretty much all of the, the creative industries in the arts, um, so theatre, performance, uh, visual arts, um, you, you name it, everything. Like in the arts, we're, we're being crowdfunded, yeah. um, and and it and it, it really grew from from there. And and I suppose, like I would say, you go back to 2013, 2014, it really exploded. Actually, like we we seen um, thousands of people, like tens of thousands of people, using this as a platform to to get their ideas out there and and hopefully collect uh, some funds to make it happen. Yeah, great. Well, let's fast forward to more recent history. And um, so there was a change in, in federal government legislation because most of these previous ones that you've been talking about, whether they're donation or rewards-based, whether it be, you know, you, you get an album at the end of it or a ticket to a film or, or you just want to support it. Now we're getting to the point where, you know, people can actually invest in in businesses that they want to put their money behind and certainly that's you know one of the um uh, reasons that I want to kind of focus on this because obviously we cover on on the show and, and the work that Beyond Zero Emissions does is about transitioning Australia and sh- doing the research to show how Australia can transition to a, a low carbon economy so uh, you know a lot of our listeners are really engaged in this energy space and um, you know it's not just about where people use their political clout but it's about how they use their money as well so if someone's you know wanting to see a movement towards um, whether it's you know clean tech renewable energy um, minimizing waste etc um, the, the ability to put their money in where their mouth is effectively and support businesses that are trying to, to make these changes. And that's the thing that I think is exciting. And 
if you can just tell our listeners about the changing to the, the legislative environment um, yeah. that's allowed maybe more businesses to, to use these type of platforms to accelerate their growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and this is this is the model I mentioned earlier about equity equity based crowdfunding or equity crowdfunding in Australia. So, um, it became legislated at the start of last year in January. They, they opened it up and allowed companies to be able to do this. Um, prior to this, it's been very prohibitive, I say, for young private companies to actually go to the to to the general um, population um, and as they call that population of people, uh, retail investors, uh, to advertise and promote an investment offer. Um, not only for, from an advertising perspective, but I say from and also facilitating investment from from more than 20 people in, in 12 months. And these were two very tough regulations um, for young companies to, to access crowdfunding in the early days, well, before the changes were made. So um, we've been... Uh, part of that conversation with the Treasury and uh, the government in, in making that them changes uh, to make it more open and, and more um, uh, accessible uh, to, to raise capital from larger numbers of people and particularly for um, where we think is the most powerful is, is from for, for consumer companies where uh, consumer companies uh, essentially with a, a social uh, social purpose um, can actually make, can involve um, the public, can involve um, everyday Australians into their business, um, and, and hopefully grow their business through that um, through that involvement. So we've had quite a few examples, and uh, I think you had mentioned a few examples uh, that that you liked, particularly in the in the, uh, in the solar and the renewable energy sector. Yeah, well, that's something certainly that um, you know we try to focus on, and and, and um, we all know that that's the future, and it's just going to speed up that that transition to to there. So I know you've currently got um, a uh, an offer um, from from Redgrid um, and previously DC Power Company. So it seems that you know these smaller tech companies are using the, this type of platform to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. The- for example, some of these companies that were that are now opening themselves up to the public for investment, they wouldn't typically have been able to, to gain investment from the traditional channels of, of VC and angel investment in Australia. So, um, so that's venture, example, ca- venture capitalists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, so, like for example, um, like we, we've got the um, Red Grid, which is a very very early stage company. Um, they're they're providing what they would call a um, distributed network um, of devices, um, hopefully using sort of blockchain technologies to be able to um, allow everyday people to sort of manage the consumption of power um, and and allow, I suppose, the, the spikes that are generally created in the energy sector um, where... At peak times, people are turning things on at the same time. Uh, people can potentially get rewarded for for not turning things on at certain times and and better managing their consumption during the day. That that makes it hopefully more efficient um, uh, and also potentially cuts the cost um, of of energy bills. 
in the sector, uh, and also potentially even many grids, allowing people to to share power that is generated through solar with with friends, family, or anybody that is part of that grid. So um, it's a really exciting opportunity, but it, for this it's a very early stage, and and I think um, in some cases these these kind of opportunities are are a bit too early for venture capitalists. Mm. And the other thing that, um, and, and obviously, you know, we're not offering any investment advice here. We just really want to talk about um, how these platforms function and, and the fact that it does help these um, particularly clean tech companies and well, a whole lot of companies, but that's what we're kind of focusing on today, um, get to that point where they're a little bit more established. But, but certainly, um, unlike maybe traditional uh, funding models, et cetera, um, because this is kind of a, you know that whole notion of a, a shared community, people can make an investment from as little as a hundred dollars, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Actually, as a platform, we allow from fifty dollars. From fifty dollars, right? In. Yeah. So we're making it incredibly accessible, I'd say, for people to get involved. And uh, an example of of a company that did make it very accessible was was DC Park. Um, they DC Park Co is a energy retailer. Um, built for companies in with solar, or sorry, sorry, with sorry, residential customers with solar uh, on their houses and providing a better deal uh, for their feed-in tariffs and uh, hopefully a better deal in terms of uh, consumption of energy whenever the sun's not shining. So um, these guys um, were actually one of the first offers I did to go live under the new regulations, mm-hmm. and the um, they received over $2 million investment from 12,500 people. Yeah, amazing. Um, many of them were $50 investors, actually. Mm. And, and I think that just shows the appetite that there is out there, that people you know, want, are so eager and keen to see a transition and, and um, see these you know, many and varied tools that will assist in that happening um, and people getting some some price equity and justice for the solar that they've invested in. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So like, it, it's, it's really amazing see, seeing some of the comments that we see through just our online chats um, on the website. So you have comments um, like, like people investing. They may have only invested 50 or 100 bucks, but they're saying how important it is that they're investing in these things for, the, for their kids, and uh, they're, making, <laughs> they're making a lot of uh, comments and, and statements about how important it is for for people to to do these things when the government's not acting, mm. um, or they're not acting in the way that um, the people are uh, are expressing their interest in. Mm. You know? Yeah, so, no, there's a disconnect there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's 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 really um, it's really interesting from my perspective because like as a platform, we 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 um, we aim to make these investments. A, an investment opportunity where we hope to see these investments growing and uh, hopefully seeing returns on, on these investments over time. Yeah, well, I think that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, as you say, some people may do it, um, and, and it's effectively a tokenistic tokenistic gesture. They're not going to retire on a $50 investment, but at the same time, they feel like they're putting their money towards something. And, you know, we're still talking about startups, small businesses, um, and, you know, not all of you know, not all of them are, are going to necessarily succeed or succeed to the 
to the level that they they may have earlier thought, or even get you know some of them. I suppose it's about going through a stage of commercialisation, and that that may change and and um, pivot um, the business. But because we're talking about fairly low dollars, I mean, I think um, you know if people. Um, you know, just want to show their their support, as as you mentioned, and their frustration by um, getting behind one of these companies that they feel is doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 don't think uh, that there may be listeners thinking that um, the government has opened up and and deregulated investment space, and uh, it's a it's a free a free for all when <laughs> it comes to raising investment. It's 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 a highly regulated space, and as a platform. Uh, we we need a license, um, and there's only a few licenses provided in Australia um, to platforms that host these investment offers. Um, there is um, lots of disclosure and, and lots of um, warning messages required mm-hmm. to be able to host these investment offers, and there is limits on how much a retail or an everyday Australian can invest in these investment offers as well, So and that's $10,000. So right. Um, so ASIC is, is, is like a, a low they have. Which most people uh, know is the Australian Securities and Investment Corporation. Was it Corporation or what was the acronym? Uh, commission. Commission, sorry, Commission. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're the ones yeah. that oversee, you know, companies and the registration of companies and, and how companies operate. So, yeah, I mean, there are certainly still checks and balances about the reporting that these businesses have to do and directorships, et cetera. So, like you say, it's certainly not an opened up free for all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it, but it's it's incredibly exciting. Um, like other jurisdictions, for example, the UK, uh, where I'm where I'm originally from, um, this is this is becoming the most dominant um, channel for companies uh, raising investment. Um, and to date, I think we're well over a million people that have invested into to some early early stage uh, startups, small companies in in the UK. So I think it's, um, it's, it's a very exciting area, and I think it's, it's, it's been quickly adopted mm. by, by companies in Australia. So as we've talked about, we have DC Power that has raised millions. Uh, we recently hosted um, a rideshare service uh, for females. Uh, we did a sustainable water bottle company called Memo Bottle. Um, we've, I think we've done maybe 22 deals mm-hmm. um, in the last one year so. Um, it's definitely very much a, uh, an exploding model, um, particularly for um, for consumer companies and companies that have that audience and, and community behind them. Yeah, great. And so typically, um, you know, if a company comes to you, uh, at what stage is this appropriate? And is there kind of, you might say, oh, look, you really need to, Kind of develop your concept further, or or what's the process? Um, so, well, firstly, there's there's an eligibility test. Um, so, um, not all companies are eligible, but generally, most um, early stage companies, if they have two directors, are, are eligible. So, um, second to that, then is I think we we we're not stage we're we're stage agnostic when it comes to um, like how. You, um, how much? I suppose how much the the, the company or the brand has, has achieved at mm-hmm. that point. But what we would say is that 
you would need to have a clear understanding of, of who is going to invest and also the channels um, to get access to that audience, if that makes sense. So, for example, like a, a regional community um, energy company um, would have a very clear audience of who would be investing into that. And potentially they have already built that community on social. Um, so they have that engagement with people. They know what they, 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 they know the kinds of things that, um, that they want or need um, and are serving that, that audience and community with an investment offer to make something happen. And, and the community is investing into it. Um, take another brand that, that hasn't uh, built that audience. Um, it's sometimes difficult uh, to get access to that audience quickly to be able to raise that investment from. So you may need to spend some time um, building that audience. So whether it's through email or through on- offline events or through social media, uh, through video, all of these things is a way to build uh, that community or audience of people to, to target uh, or a raise of investment. Um, that's generally what we look at. Okay. And if people, don't, you know, if the company sort of says, look, we want to do this this particular launch, you know, our objectives are, you know, to move into a different geographical location or, you know, we need some more staff to be able to do this. So they kind of set some parameters and, and some targets, presumably in uh, collaboration with you guys. And then if those targets aren't met, it doesn't proceed. Is, is that how it kind of goes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So even the regulations um, set um, that you have to meet your minimum target of investment uh, to be able to receive that, that funding. Um, similar to, to how we work uh, using the, the possible platform. So on possible, you have to set a minimum target to reach and you need to get that level of stages to be able to go ahead. Otherwise, the stages or investments are cancelled and, and the project or the investment doesn't go ahead. Right. And so virtual as that licensed platform kind of, um, you know, either holds those pledges and trust effectively until, um, you know, it's all go and they've met the targets and, and then, you know, there's a there's a there's a administrative process in the background that then releases that to the company, etc. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the regulations require us to have a trust account um, for, for holding these funds. So... But yeah, you're right. And it, but it moves pretty fast. Like we use the latest technologies in terms of payments to to process the uh, investment and then shares quickly to the uh, to the investor. Okay, great. Okay, so we've talked about you know a couple. We've talked about Red Grid. We've talked about um, DC Power Company. Um, you mentioned the the um, reusable bottle company, and certainly we had um, Jane from Bring Me Home on the show last week talking about their food rescue app, which um, seems like a great, really positive um, contribution to that space because you know we all know how big a uh, certainly a carbon footprint food waste has when you think about all the inputs that go into producing food and then you've got all the, you know, the transportation, the refrigeration, all the other things. And one of the, the things that Jane spoke about when we were talking about the size of the problem um, was that, you know, if food was a company, uh, sorry, if food was a country, it would have the third 
largest carbon footprint. So it's a massive issue, and 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 the solution that they've come up with, um, you know, seems really really interesting. And for listeners that have tuned in this week and may not have heard last week's show, I'd suggest you go to the podcast and have a listen to that. But it seems like a win for the consumer and for cafes, and it saves food going into um, into landfill, which is a which is a disaster because we're not talking about spoilt food; we're talking about perfectly good food. Um, so it's really interesting. So then, what what other companies? And you may not be able to give us the names of them, but but the type of companies you know maybe on the horizon of looking at, at using your platform to move their business forward. Um, we, have a, we have a huge range. I think um, now that we have one year done with equity crowdfunding, I think we have had the inspiration. Um, in nearly every industry uh, that we operate. So, like, uh, for example, in the solar space, like, we, we see, um, sorry, in the renewable energy space, we see, I think there's three prospects at the moment. Uh, one is a generator um, of electric and, and not using solar. It's, uh, it's using another form. Uh, we have a, a solar farm project, um, much more of, like, a commercial project. Um, also, we have a, a regional uh, energy retailer, I think, and that's just, this is just in that that industry of, of energy. Mm. Um, but if you go into other other sectors, I think um, what we are seeing, I think, and it's and it's nearly, um, and maybe maybe I'm in a, a Melbourne bubble and I'm calling with when I say it, but um, like I see. That um, a lot of the consumer companies that we're working with, whether it's in food and beverage, whether it's consumer products uh, like Memo Bottle I mentioned, um, whether it's um, even like in the hospitality space, like um, I'm finding that um, the the companies that are sort of leading um, their industry are the, the the companies that are a bit more sustainability minded. Mm. Um, so, for example, we're we, we're we're uh, in discussions with the jeans company. Um, a social enterprise that um, this is apparel, uh, jeans apparel. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. jeans. So, so e- like even that uh, product um, has lots of chemicals. Uh, the process, all of that aspect of manufacturing and creating, like for example, a pair of jeans. Um, if you if you knew the process, you would realize that it's uh, it's not quite sustainable. Mm. Oh, the textiles um, industry. Aspects, so. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think people are more and more realising just, you know, the whole concept of fast fashion and the amount of textile waste. Um, you know, we really need to think about, you know, quality and using long term. And so, yeah, no, really interesting. Yeah, so so we could look at every every sector. We've got companies that are who's leading, uh, leading their their industries. Um, and being much more um, environmentally, socially uh, conscious, um, uh, taking I suppose a lot of it, like in my view, um, to, to launch like a successful brand uh, today, especially to target uh, younger millennial groups. Um, like uh, they they are being much more uh, conscious of these things and. And I suppose even from a marketing perspective, um, it's it's uh, is, is I think pretty important. I think. Yeah, I think that that whole concept of of social conscience and social license um, 
is really important today. Uh, and certainly we talk about that a lot in businesses which we think have a negative impact um, yeah. and showing them that they don't have social license to do what, you know, to continue do, doing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, the, the businesses that are actually, you know, that's kind of part of their core identity, I think, as you mentioned, will continue to be rewarded. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I completely agree with like, um I think the companies that are very transparent and, and very uh, conscious of these things, I think they, they will be building the brand for the long term. Um, and again, like I think the, the companies that are doing it really well at the moment um, are being able to tell that story well. And I think from a marketing perspective, um, it's resonating with people. And if you can resonate with an audience, again, there's, there's a highly likelihood that you be able to get investments and, and be able to grow, particularly through word of mouth. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, um, it's really been great to get you on, Alan, and talk through you know the evolution of uh, crowdfunding as a phenomenon and what Virtual is, is doing now. So, um, as we talked about, you know, investing from as little as fifty dollars. Um, so, if, if this is something that listeners you, you think is interesting and you actually want to have the um, ability to look at companies that. Um, you know, are trying to make really positive inroads in, in a whole lot of industries. Um, have a look at the virtual platform, um, which is virtual.com, and you'll you'll see that there, and, and um, they're pretty self-explanatory, and there's a whole lot of different businesses that um, are currently having... Um, Having, having offerings, so um, certainly if it's something that you want to do is, is uh, not only use your, your vote but use your dollar to influence the, the world around you, then this is one way that you can, you can look at doing it. But, you know, as always, um, get the right advice. Uh, but um, you might be just as happy to put $50 behind something that you want to see happen. So, look, I really appreciate you coming on, Alan, and um, talking with, with us about these things, and um, we'll look forward to talking again in the future. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thanks. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. So, listeners, as you are aware over the last couple of episodes, we've been doing a feature looking at energy companies that, that are new to the space and are bringing new technologies, a way of doing things to accelerate the move and the transition uh, to a decarbonised economy, which is what we need to do. So I'm really pleased to have on the line Richard Romanowski, and Richard is the co-founder and executive director of Planet Arc Power. Welcome, Richard. Welcome. Thank you very much. Now, you guys um, have just been really kicking some goals and, and recently got an award over in Germany. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was um, amazing. We're, we're at the World Energy Conference uh, Awards in Berlin with um, hundreds of uh, startup energy organizations from all over the world. And a little old company from Brisbane won uh, in front of uh, thousands of people, but also 20 uh, world-leading judges. Um, you think you think TV Shark Tank is tough? We had 20 of the best of the best put us through through the traps, and uh, our technology won. And I'd encourage everyone to, um, you know, you can go onto YouTube, and there's quite a few videos showing that. And it was actually, you know, a process of elimination, wasn't it, to kind of get yeah. into the um, the finals? Yes, I think there was. I hope you know I get it right. 600 or 700 applicants, you know, at the start with 
and we got down to uh, I think it was 10 or 20 uh, at the finals, and then we we won in our category. Yeah, fantastic. And that was the intelligent grid platforms and cybersecurity. But but maybe let's take a step back from from that and and go back and look at what is the um, the genesis for the business and what are the issues that you're trying to to address. Well, myself and my co-founder, Bev, Bev and Dr. Bevan Holcomb, we started seven years ago. It's been a while to get this far. And, and the whole intention is about um, a lot, in, radically increasing the amount of renewable energies that the, that the local grid can, can handle or hold. So there is inherent in the design of, of this old, 100-year-old one-way grid there's a flaw in that it, it, it doesn't handle two-way energy very well. So our technology was, was intended from the very start to fix that problem. Okay. And certainly we know, you know, as you're saying, you know, we're dealing with a 100-year-old technology here and, and certainly in places like, like Queensland when you're, where you're based, I think we're up around the 35% solar penetration um, on residential. So yeah. certainly... Um, and, and, you know, we've got all this rooftop space, residential, but more so also con- commercial and industrial, that's just prime for development for solar. But the inhibiting factor's been f- feeding that into what was just traditionally a, a, a kind of a one-way traffic, um, and we're going the other way. So wh- what is it that your technology does to allow that? Well, first, I just re- uh, agree with you and just re- uh, reiterate the problem. So as you send energy backwards... Um, you have to do it within the, the legal limit, the statutory regulation. It has to stay within the right, you know, two, 240 volts plus or minus a percentage. Um, and when you send energy backwards, it actually creates, uh, creates a voltage rise. So the voltage goes up, and that then uh, impacts on so many things, and the grid just can't handle it. And, and you hear, you know, headlines in the newspaper that, you know, too much rooftop solar is going to create brownouts and blackouts and blow up your, your equipment. And, and, but those are true statements if we don't address it. So can I just move to the next the, the solution, or do you want me to, to – do you, do you want to talk about that for a second? Oh, no, no. Tell us, tell us how, how you deal with that. So we, we – the traditional solution for the grid is not a really good solution. They just keep upgrading the transformers. Um, which is sort of the, the death spiral, which your, your viewers know, probably most of them know quite well. Um, and then you end up never really solving the problem. All you do is keep spending more and more money and, and, and electricity prices go up. Well, our solution is we put behind the meter, beside the solar inverter, our, our um, artificial intelligence device with software. Um, and we manage the voltage in real time. And, and keep it within uh, statutory limits at all times so that you can actually have a complete two-way grid. Yeah, right. And is this, um, I mean, obviously you guys are doing this. Is there other people around the world? Because obviously as, you know, solar penetration increases, and I know Australia is a leader in that, this is going to be an issue everywhere, that we're going from traditional kind of one-directional grids to a distributed energy model more so. Absolutely correct, but there, uh, that's why we want Berlin, um, because from from the World Energy Council's perspective, there's no one else doing that. No one's ever thought of this. Uh, remember, Australia is, for the first time ever, five years ahead of the rest of the world in terms of a problem and technology issue. 
no one else has got the amount of rooftop solar penetration in the low voltage grid than than what Australia has, and so we've got the problem first, mm. and um, we've invented a solution. So we don't we're not aware of anyone who's addressing the problem like we are. Yeah, right. And so a lot of people in your organisation presumably then come from a utility background to kind of be able to see, hey, this is an issue. Well, we say we're a startup, but we're, we're sort of beyond that. We're 40 staff, 25 electrical engineers. Um, I think there's th- almost 300 years of uh, utility uh, engineering experience in the group, um, five PhDs, so it's very much surprisingly um, uh, extremely high-tech company, a Silicon Valley equivalent company right here in Brisbane. Mm. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, we've seen some some really, you know, great companies that are leading in this space come out of Queensland in recent time, certainly with Tritium, with the, the charges that they're exporting all over the world. And now, as you say, um, you know, this is not going to be an issue that's isolated to the Australian grid. This will be worldwide. But the level of solar penetrations kind of, I suppose, brought it to a head here more quickly than maybe in some other jurisdictions. So... So you've created this technology, which is a combination of AI and software, which sits behind the grid. So in real terms then, what does that mean for um, the increases that you know, so- rooftop solar can, can have and then be safely fed into the grid? Thank you. It's, from a technical perspective, um, we can increase the amount of rooftop solar uh, that the grid can handle by up to 1,300%. So it's a huge increase when you fix this voltage problem. Wow. But, but more importantly, and this is something people, you know, we, again, a lot of your viewers would understand that in the commercial spaces, we've got almost, almost, you know, less than 5% of the commercial rooftop space is filled with solar. And, and without fixing the voltage problem, it's not going to happen, um, and 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 that's just here in Australia and globally. So that's that's a key part of our focus. Um, do you want me to explain that? Or do yes, you yes, carry on. Um, so when you have the split incentive, you have the landlord-tenant problem. The, they always fight over well, who's going to pay for it and who's going to get the benefit. So so you you never end up with anyone doing anything. So so to do solar. In a, roof, in a commercial institution, you need third-party finance. So you need a third party to walk in and, and own that rooftop solar system and, and, and then sell energy to the tenant. But um, most of the installation, all the installations to date in Australia commercially have been a self-consumption. They're not exporting to the grid because they have troubles doing that. The reason they don't do that is because um, voltage problems create Intermittency, which means that the voltage, when you when you say if I have a a one megawatt rooftop solar, half of 500 kilowatts gets used by the tenant, and 500 kilowatts I want to send into the grid, just like any other solar farm, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're creating urban rooftop solar farms, but when that energy gets into the grid, the voltage problem makes it variable, and so then the bank goes, but I I can't. Fund, I can't finance a variable income stream for 20 years, so they then, then then they don't do it. So you end up with 500 kilowatts, not a megawatt, not a megawatt installed. Did I did I explain that? Yeah, no, no, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And, and then part two of that: once you install 
as something that you can export, then you can add huge batteries. So, um, so we have like a, a site with a, a large international furniture retailer happening, which is um, 1.5 megawatts of rooftop solar. That's five football fields of rooftop solar. Where a lot of that solar will get exported into the grid. But then we're adding three megawatt hours of batteries. So that's three 40-foot containers of batteries. And the batteries will reduce the, the, the customer's uh, demand charges. And, and only batteries can do that. It'll then sell energy into the grid. So that's the FCAS and then energy arbitrage. But you can't do FCAS and energy arbitrage if you have a voltage problem. So, so it, 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 it makes, it all of a sudden releases, um, releases, there's billions and billions of dollars of, of money ready to uh, decarbonize, clean up the world, solve the problems, but, if but they will only put money into bankable solutions. No matter how green we are, how much we screen, if we don't give the banks um, financeable, bankable solutions, they can't help us. I don't know if you're that familiar with the early work that Beyond Zero Emissions put out way back in 2010 where we showed how the um, grid could be transitioned to 100% renewable and that was a combination of a whole lot of technologies, wind, solar, um, solar thermal, etc. And look, at the time, that research was about moving the discussion forward. It wasn't necessarily saying this is exactly how it will happen, but it was to show that it could. What you're talking about now, um, and we've done shows where we've, you know, focused on solar farms and wind farms and a whole lot of different varieties of technologies. But what, but if I'm understanding this correctly, we've got all this established rooftop. We've now got a technology where we can kind of times 10 the, the solar that's on these existing rooftops. That makes sense financially. So, I mean, have you done some modelling of what this could mean potentially? Absolutely. I guess the best example is in Australia, where we, the environmental movement, are really trying hard to replace all these dying coal power plants with with renewables. And of course, the other side of politics is trying to put more coal power stations in to to, to, to do the same. Um, and, but 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 um, the viewers got to understand that it's or, or you know we're, we're meeting with ministers, the energy ministers of different um, states, and they're saying, well, we want to be green, but we, we you know we've only got four or five years to solve this problem, and there's not enough wind and, and solar farms ever that can get connected. There's, you know there's limits in rooftop solar because of the voltage problem, but our technology comes in and we can fix it. We can actually replace those dying coal power plants with urban rooftop solar farms. So we can put um, in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Adelaide, um, five, say 500 rooftops of commercial industrial rooftops at you know, one to two megawatts each plus a big battery, and we've replaced the coal power station or two or three. Mm. And, and so that, what kind that, of feedback are you getting then from those discussions? They are interested, and we're getting... Um, hugely interested. People are starting to stand up and say, wow, this is interesting. But like always, it's it's a climate emergency. We have to actually get our heads around this pretty quickly. We can't, mm. you know, the traditional utility and uh, planning approach, you know, it takes them 10 years to think about something. We, we don't have that time. And so 
we're starting to address this and saying we can do this. And we have um, uh, international engineering firms who are uh, starting to write reports to support our technology and say to government, this is real, you can do it. Um, it's a lot cheaper than putting in uh, a coal power station or, or a new nuclear plant and a lot quicker and yeah, and I, I think one of the key things that certainly um, you've mentioned and, and looking back in, in some research I've been doing for our discussion today, we're not talking, because one of the big things has always been, well, there's a lot of grid upgrades to do. But what? But if I'm understanding you correctly with, with what you're talking about, your technology, that level of upgrades and, like you're saying, upgrading transformers continually doesn't have to be part of the picture to the same extent. Is that a correct analysis? Absolutely correct. So one of the fundamental things is when you fix the voltage at the building, at the source, you stop the need to upgrade the poles and wires. You don't need to do any more gold plating of the poles and wires, no more, no more transformer upgrades, and you even uh, increase the life of the poles and wires, and you increase the return on investment for the uh, DNSPs, the um, network operators. So everybody, it's a it's a it's a win-win for everybody. Um, from from you know, we keep we keep talking to people and they're going, "What's the trick? What's the catch?" And we're going, "Well, it's just good combination of really innovative engineering and a good business model." Yeah. Okay. So where are you guys up to then? Um, you, I've seen you've you know you've done a number of larger schools and industrial sites, you know, big big car dealerships, etc. Where are you along the, the commercialization road? We are, um, we are fast-tracking commercialization. When we won in Berlin, the Secretary General of the World Energy Council said, said to me, wow, this is absolutely fabulous. It's game-changing. Please think and go 100 times bigger and faster than, you, than you've been thinking before. Mm. So we're doing that. Um, so, for example, we're now um, talking about um, what's it look like to replace a coal power station in Australia. So that's you know the 500 buildings. Um, we are, uh, are we've got a couple of sites. So, so I get, can't release names yet, but but you know a, a big site I mentioned before, the 1.5 megawatt. We've got another site um, in Sydney, which is three megawatts of rooftop solar. So 10 football fields and three three megawatt hours of batteries. So they're all under development. Uh, and then, of course, part two of that is um, to go faster and to speed up our commercialization. We're raising money. So we're raising uh, $20 million in a Series A uh, investment offering. So that'll help us uh, speed up in Australia and, and also overseas. We have two projects already overseas, but um, I don't know whether you want me to talk about that or not. Yeah, no, we will. Look, listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Erin Jones, and I'm speaking today with the co-founder and executive director, Richard Romanowski, from Planet Arc Power. And, and we're talking with Richard about um, fairly game-changing technology that they've developed, which they've recently won um, an international award for, and that's about primarily voltage stabilisation at the site of generation. We're talking about the ability for um, urban solar farms, uh, uh, which has, you know, huge um, potential. So tell us about that that overseas interest and and developments. Well, uh, we won the award in Berlin with the World Energy Council, and before we even got off the stage, we were 
know, unbelievable interest in what we're doing. Um, we have uh, in France, we have a already assigned uh, project up to do a demonstration in Nice, uh, France, for our technology across a number of buildings. And then in California, we have a large uh, seven-year seven community microgrid, which is a billion-dollar project to um, basically fill every commercial roof, roof space with um, solar and batteries using our technology or facilitated by our technology. And so were they projects or, or connections that have been made pre-winning this award, or has that kind of all been a, a, a um acceleration from there? Uh, they all came as an acceleration from the award. So oh, fantastic. That, that's, and then we've really um, we've shut down. The, we, we keep getting um, interest and opportunities left and right from all over the place. We have to just shut down because you end up um, not doing anything if you don't. You know, we're just picking the ones we've, we've got, pulling them off, making it happen, um, and, um, and and then growing from there. Mm. So f- from a business point of view for you guys, what's your structure? Are, are you still a private company? What's your... We, we are an unlisted public company. Okay. So we are raising uh, $20 million Australian dollars now uh, in a share offering. So, um, And then we plan to IPO uh, on the Australian ASX in three or four years. So we think... Back to exactly what the Secretary General said to me of the, of the World Energy Council says, think and execute 100 times faster and bigger than you're thinking. So, uh, you know, it, it, there's no other way except um, getting support from investors to, to let us do that. And are you manufacturing in Queensland? I'm sort of visualising the black box that you've got. Is, there, is that a, a big piece of infrastructure and kit that, that has to go into these? Um... It's, a very, it's a very sophisticated. So if you think of it, one way someone said to me, we've invented the smartphone of the power electronics industry. So we've taken a something that's you know usually a thousand kilograms in size and put it into a, like a twenty kilo, kilogram box, but it's still very sophisticated to make. So we are uh, a lot of the parts are made uh, all over the world and all over Australia, and then we bring them into uh, uh, Brisbane and we make some of the parts in Brisbane and assemble them. Okay, so that's an in-house product. You're not partnering with an existing battery um, provider. No. Okay. Well, we, we, we are partnering with an international provider, but again, I, I, that's, I'll, I'll leave that for yeah. announcements to come in the sure. future. But effectively, yes, um, uh, we are. So uh, this year alone, we'll do probably five to six megawatt hours of batteries, which will be will be the biggest battery supplier in Australia outside of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what's on, I mean, you mentioned these couple of international ones, but what kind of megawatt hours are we talking? Do you think you'll, you'll be able to roll out, um, you know, let's say in this financial year, as we're quickly getting to the end of the calendar year, uh, what kind of, you know, numbers can we can we see as a possibility? 
well, this is our year to raise capital, mm-hmm. um, but we'll still do quite quite well. Uh, this year we'll be probably doing uh, close to 15 megawatts, so a small solar farm of, of rooftop solar that we'll install mm-hmm. in this in this um, year ending June, so June 20. Plus, uh, the, about basically, I said about the six megawatt hours of batteries, so that's a very large size. But then, the next year we'll, we'll more like triple that the year after. Plus, our international um, uh, projects will start to kick in um, the year after. So we, we start to become quite a large uh, installer. But the key is, Aaron, is that we're to to scale. Part two of what what we're doing is we're, we're licensing our technology. There's no way we can we can do this ourselves. So we're trying to license the whole industry to use our technology. Okay, great. Well, that'll you know, speed that transition then. Yeah, so we, the way we, we call it, we think, if you think of the computer industry, like every time you buy almost every single laptop and, 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 and uh, desktop computer, you've got that... Um, Intel chip, you know, they have on the outside, it's got that little mm. that Intel inside. Yeah. Well, so we, we think for, we want to get to the point where every single time you have a rooftop solar installation that you are exporting, you're using our technology, which we call Alexis, actually given it a name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we want to license the solar installers, uh, engineering companies, the, the banks, um, to use our technology to then speed up decarbonization of the electricity grid so we can well, basically save, save the planet mm. and save humanity is yeah. really our, our mission statement. Yeah, right. And so basically any um, person that's maybe got an industrial or commercial building at this stage, regardless of what flavour of solar panel or, or which provider they put on it, with this system you're saying, they can A, really... The only limitations is the roof size and the the, the structural integrity of the uh, the roof system, as to how many panels they can put on. Yes. Yeah. Right. Erin, you said that well. So our estimation of the market in Australia, for example, is that in in the commercial space, eighty percent of buildings have the ability to put more solar on the roof than they use. And and say, for example, if if it's 200 kilowatts on the roof, you can actually make it 400 kilowatts. And so half you would use and another half you would send back into the grid. Mm. Well, it sounds super exciting and I really um, look forward to talking to you again um, maybe in another you know, 6 or 12 months, Richard, and see where things are up to because uh, you know, these terms do get bandied around a bit too much, but this does sound pretty game-changing, actually. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. And that of your viewers, and, and uh, thank you. We, uh, I think every time I think of it, I take a deep breath and think of what task we've been given. It's, it's challenging, and we appreciate it and all the support we can get. So thank you. Yeah, no, wonderful. Look, so for people that um, you know may want to uh, see a little bit more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to look at that? Um, we do have a, a website. Um, and if you go to www.planetarchpowered.com backslash investment, you'll be able to see a whole range. You know, yes, there's investment there, but there's a lot of links to our videos. Um, and, there, and then, of course, the rest of the website will have a lot of our videos to explain the technology.
um, if that helps. Does that give you? Yeah, that would be excellent. I think um, you know there's a, there's a lot there that people can go on. And as I mentioned, um, I don't know if you've got links from the website, but if you put in the um, Startup Energy Transition Awards on YouTube, you should find some of the videos on there as well, which shows the um, calibre of uh, the competition that Planet Planet Art Power was up against and. Um, and won that award. So, so look, it, it sounds really exciting, Richard, and I'm so pleased that we could have a chat today. And uh, it's, we need to, I guess the best way to say it is, this is a climate emergency. We need to do something and do it fast and do it well, and, and we're, we're just part of that solution, and thank you. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks very much. So listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Erin Jones, and continuing on our theme of looking at uh, energy companies and, and the recent phenomenon of equity crowdfunding and, and crowdfunding, which we've spoken about. We're going to um, talk to another co-founder now of an energy company and uh, see what this type of funding is allowing them to do to, to move more quickly to a clean energy future. So I've got on the line Adam Bumpus, and he is the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Redgrid. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Erin. So can you just tell us what is Redgrid and what's the essence of what you're doing? So Redgrid is a software technology company that basically gives a brain to all the old energy appliances you have in your house, so like old air conditioners and refrigerators and pool pumps, things that use energy or things that are producing energy, like your solar system or things for storing, like your batteries. And what we do is we enable those devices, those appliances, to have a brain and understand what is happening around them, who is demanding more energy, who wants to give more energy. And by doing that, we can reduce energy waste and help those uh, devices optimize comfortability for people in their houses and save them a bunch of money at the same time. And we, we, we are doing this through a software platform that is so it's not, uh, we don't have specific bits of hardware, we integrate different bits of hardware and basically what we're trying to do is create what we call the internet of energy the ability for the internet as we see it right now transact information we see that to be able to transact energy across different devices across different communities in the future and really helping us enable the best optimization of our current renewable assets and the incentive to invest in more yeah great okay so so the interesting thing then this can be retrofitted or, or used effectively on older appliances that doesn't have to be kind of the latest and greatest. Am I understanding that correctly? It, exactly, yes. Uh, so we, so people with an air conditioner which has got a remote control, uh, we, can, we have an intermediary device with our partners that can control that air conditioner and, and, uh, and help people gain credit for when that air conditioner switches off if they want to, to help uh, provide some support to the grid. Um, but it can also be smart smart plugs, so smart plugs that you can buy for sort of 15 bucks, um, we can integrate into those as well. So tell us a little bit about the company then and where you are up to in terms of, um, you know, commercialization. Yeah, so we are a startup. Uh, there are five of us in the company. We've been working on this full-time for about a year. Um, and uh, throughout that year, we we took part in things like uh, the PowerShop University of Melbourne hack, and, and we won that. And then we went and worked with Arena at their um, A-Lab, their incubator. So we kind of started getting a bit of traction on, you know, th there is some use in this. There is some real, there's a real opportunity here. And so um, we actually applied for the Startup Bootcamp Accelerator uh, last November. We got into that, and they had 653 applicants, and they chose 10 at the startups, and we were one of those 10. So through that, we started signing deals with people like Energy Australia, 
uh, and Spotless to do proof of concept. And um, we're actually working with Monash University on their Smart City Initiative and, and providing our software into that initiative to help them uh, create an even better approach to how they can manage energy across the campus. So we're small, we're really early stage, um, but we are getting some actual ones on the board with really fantastic organizations who see the potential of the technology. Uh, and, and we're small and early stage, and that's why we're raising the seed round uh, through the crowd equity funding at the moment. Right. And so if people want to get more information, that's through virtual. And we've, we've spoken to Alan and, and um, about how that works. And it's a really, um, you know, interesting concept. Yeah. Um, you know, these new platforms that are allowing, whether it's energy companies or, or food waste or whatever, to really accelerate their growth through small investors coming together yeah. for, you know, fairly, fairly low minimums um, yeah. to actually, uh, you know, make some impact. That's it. And it's, it's really interesting, Aaron, because we, um, so we partnered up with the film 2040, um, the, you know, the film with the yep. Damon Gamow before, really fantastic piece of work. And, and when we spoke to Damon, we said, look, we're trying to do this in Australia. And, and, and he said, well, this is fantastic. Let's do some work together. So we cut a video together. And, and the reason why we wanted to do that and why we went for the crowdfunding is that this fundamental shift in our energy system has to come from the bottom up. And that's, and that comes from both our technology, because our technology is not a imposed system. It kind of organically grows from device to device, but it has to come from the support of the people as well. And so we actually saw the crowdfunding as not only a way to raise some money, but actually philosophically as how we should change the energy system. We've got to change it from the ground up. And we, we, when we spoke to Birch and we started working with, with Alan and the guys there, we started to see, okay, there's this great opportunity in Australia to build – uh, new technology infrastructure from the bottom up. And that, I think, is where we've seen such an amazing support from the crowd um, in this race is because they're not, we're not just going to a couple of VCs. We have some VCs that we're talking to. They're very interesting and good to have them on, on board. But we need people, and we need people out there who believe in the vision of what this can do. And that's, I mean, to be honest, it's been the most amazing thing. We're so grateful for the support we've had because people have stood up and said, you know what, I'll stick in $1,000 or I'll stick in five or some people stick in $10,000 because they believe in what this is going to do. And that's been it's an amazing thing for a startup to have, to have that validation from the people. Yeah, that's great. And look, I think that's a really interesting thing as well about um, renewable energy is in one way, it's, it's actually the democratisation of energy and we're going from a hub and spoke centralised one way system to a vastly decentralised um, energy system in, in two way yeah. and we're actually... Um, you know, talking about some of the issues of, um, you know, that traditional grid further on in the show as well about yeah. um, voltage stabilisation and things like that. So, um, well, so we, I absolutely agree. And actually, we're going one step further, which is a fully distributed system. So actually, I, I completely agree. So we've got the decentralisation, but a distributed system means that these devices at the edge have their own intelligence and they can actually start working as tiny, tiny grids. So we call them virtual mini-grids. So it could be between, within one house or between a couple of houses or a neighborhood, all the way scaling up. But the, the really critical bit here is that with each of these devices having a few set rules that means it, it works on behalf of its owners, works on behalf of the community at the same time, they can start to make really intelligent decisions without having some massive overbearing switch control at the top. Now, we still need that control, but what we can do on a day-to-day -day basis and avoid blackouts is by having these little decisions making. So I love what you're saying here. It's precisely that. It's a change from a centralized model, but all the way through to a distributed intelligence. And we think that is a fundamentally new way of looking at how energy works.
Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I really appreciate you um, talking to us today, Adam, and I'd be interested down the track to maybe delve a little bit more into the details about how your technology works and, and all the different applications, but maybe we can save that chat for another day. We'd love to. Thanks, Erin. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. Bye-bye.